0: That's what I'm talking about. All right, this morning, this morning we're going to uh, start off with, uh, uh, with one word, and that's thanks. And uh, as I look around, it's just amazing right now where Polaris was and, and where we're at today. And I can't help but just to keep thinking, thank you, God. Uh, I mean, look at this sanctuary. This is just amazing. Um, some new friends that came in here today that uh, made mention of just how beautiful it is and how large it is. We're blessed with that. We've got construction starting on the uh, Rise and Shine Preschool, which is just going to enable us to, to plant that seed. And all the youngsters in Brunswick, just another arm of, of God that can go out there and reach the community. We're so thankful for that and also for the generosity that your, this church has provided uh, in your gifts to make uh, this possible through God's hands. So I'd like to start off just with a prayer yeah, of thanks to God. Heavenly Father... Uh, It is just awesome to be a part of this incredible movement uh, here in Brunswick, uh, to be a part of something so strong and so special that uh, without question has your blessing on it, Father. And uh, we ask that you continue that blessing as we do our best uh, with you standing right next to us, Lord, that we can continue to spread your word and we can do your work uh, here in the city of Brunswick and abroad. All this we pray in your name. Amen. All right, speaking of cars... My daughter got her license uh, back in March, and she also got a car back in March. And uh, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I were sitting on the patio of our neighbor's house, which is in the backyard of our, of our neighborhood there, and from that patio you can see our driveway. And we're in the midst of just talking and socializing, and uh, a little bit quiet, it's starting to get to be evening time. And what breaks the silence but the frantic screams of my daughter— Standing between the houses, with her hands next to her head like this, and I look over and I can kind of see the driveway and I can see her car and I surmise that something bad had happened. So I walk over to the house and uh, sure enough, Christina taken her brand new for uh, Christine, Camille had taken her brand new first car, smashed it right into my van, buckled the bumper. She's crazy. She's hyperventilating. She doesn't even want to get back in the car. So I said, "Camille, just calm down. So I pull the car forward. Bumper pops out of place right back to where it was. There are no broken taillights. There's no broken headlights. Just a little scuff on the bumper, and I kind of tucked the little plastic bumper back in place. No harm, no foul. Could not have been a better accident. First of all, she ran into my van. Has anybody seen my van? Doesn't matter what you do to that. But most importantly, there was nobody else involved. There was no harm done to anybody that was involved with the accident. No cost out of pocket. So very inexpensive as an accident, but priceless as a life lesson. So I'm happy for that accident. But she was completely freaked out about it because she really likes her car. And so I started thinking back, and I remember my first car. My first car was not nearly as nice as my daughter's. Anybody here remember their first car? I am going to bet that most guys' first car was just this side of being transportation. (laughs) And I am willing to bet that most girls' first car, because daddy loves their daughters more, was much more safe, it was much more responsible, it was much more reliable. My first car, however, was a 1964 Buick Riviera. I paid $365 for it. Most of that in change. (laughs) My dad went with me to go pick the car up, and uh, we got it in Parma, and my dad had to drive the car home. Reason being, he didn't feel that I was uh, safe enough driving it because it didn't have any front seats. It's a true story. My dad drove from Parma back to Strongsville sitting on a milk crate. So I got the car back, and it took a couple months. I put a whole new floor in it. I put uh, new seats in it. Obviously, you need those. Did some body work to it, some light mechanical work, and I did the best I could uh, to get that thing up and running so I could use it. Then I started thinking about... All of the other first cars my friends had in high school. And as I had just mentioned, guys, you remember your first car. My friend's cars were barely drivable. They were loud, tires were bald, right? One window didn't roll up, one window didn't roll down. They were just really pieces of junk that got us to where we needed to go, but we love those cars. And then we would work and we'd save up some more money, and then we'd take that money, and of course we used it to make those cars more reliable and more safe, right? No, no. We took that money and made those things rolling testaments to who we are as individuals. We popped in the o matic Stereo, right? We put the Kmart seat covers on. We put the thrush mufflers on the car, right? We would hang stuff from the rearview mirror. They could be, uh, you know, Playboy uh, logos. We had cherry air fresheners, the Rolling Stones lips that hung from the, the back of that. Maybe a graduation tassel if we were that lucky, right? We were living large in those cars back in the day. Now, let's compare that first car to our parents' first car. What was the family truckster like? Safe and reliable, right? Mom and dad had a car that had no frills. It was just safe, dependable, reliable transportation. It was a fruitful car because it got the family where it needed to go. It was dependable. Regularly scheduled maintenance is on that to get your oil changed. If the tires were bald, you put new tires back on. Air filters clogged, you clean them up or put new ones in. Oil was always changed on a regular basis. Had to have good wipers on the car. It was going to rain or snow, right? Fluids always topped off, and that was the family truckster. Now, in our reading this morning from John 15, we're going to hear about being fruitful and how a vine is taken care of, how it's pruned, how it's watered, how it's cared for, and how it could be relied upon to produce good fruit. And very similar to our our parents' car, the vine is taken care of. No car can take care of itself, and neither can any vine. So in today's text, Jesus talks about the kind of life transformation that happens when we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We tap into that life-giving water that Jesus provides for us. And in this scripture, it's really cool because Jesus uses a a unique and effective way to reach and teach his disciples. And here's the way I see this passage playing out. Jesus is in the upper room, and they're having uh, this fairly significant dinner, which we like to refer to as the Last Supper. And as they're up there eating, they're finished with their meal, and Jesus says, hey, guys, why don't you follow me? We're going to go for a walk. So they leave the upper room, and they start walking, making their way through the city, eventually getting to the Garden of Gethsemane. But on their way, they come across many, many opportunities where there's vines growing. Grapes were a very common crop of the day, so whether they were growing in the city or in the outskirts of the city or on their way to the garden, they were there. And Jesus, being the masterful teacher that he is, he stops and he uses this opportunity to teach his disciples with these awesome visual aids. So we're going to take a look at John 15, 1 through 12, and see what he says to them. I encourage you, in front of you in your pews, uh, there's green Bibles. I encourage you to follow along with the Bible you brought. Grab one of those Bibles and use it. If you've got an app on your phone that you can follow along, uh, please do that. That's just going to help out with your with your Bible readings. Our uh, internet went down and will not be back up till Tuesday. I was not able to give Marcus any slides for the uh, For this, so if you guys could follow along, that would be great. John 15, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, 4th one, New Testament. Here's what it says. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourself to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you, and that your joy may be complete." And then he finishes by saying this, my command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Now all this talk about cutting vines and removing dead branches and, stu- and stuff probably made a lot more sense to the disciples back in their day than it does to us. Because for me, this paints kind of a weird picture. And it leaves me with the question, what does he mean when he says he will cut off the branches? So if you look right at verse 2, specifically says just that. He cuts off every branch that bears no fruit. This is a confusing verse. It doesn't sit well with me. It seems violent. It seems hateful. How could God discard or remove us just because we're not bearing any fruit? It just doesn't sound good. It doesn't sound like something that a loving God would do. So I did a lot of reading. I did some research. Got some perspective on this whole cutting off thing. And I have two different thoughts that I'd like to share with with you guys this morning. And here's my first thought. To help explain uh, the passage, we need to, first of all, define the phrase cut off. What does he mean when he tells us to cut off the branches? So I surfed the net prior to my internet going down and found out that cut off can be translated from the Greek to mean lift up. And this really helps in gaining perspective on this passage. So now we're going to pretend, since this is my sermon, we're going to pretend that we're all gardeners of the vineyard, okay? Okay. We are expert gardeners of a vineyard. We spend long hours walking through the vineyards, tending the grapes, watching the fruit and the vines develop, waiting for that perfect day that we're going to start our harvest. New vines begin to grow, but since we are expert vineyard gardeners, we know that when new vines grow, they do not grow up. They grow down, and they tend to trail along on the ground. And our vast experience tells us that they will not bear fruit if they remain on the ground. When the vines grow on the ground, uh, the leaves get coated in, in dirt, they get trampled on. And when it rains, they get muddy, they get full of mildew. And then the vines become sick and useless. So as gardeners, what do we do with these vines? They're sick and useless, right? So we just we cut them off and we throw them away. Right? No, that's not going to happen. Those grapevines are much too valuable for us to do that. So as caring gardeners, we walk through the vineyard with a bucket of water, looking for those weak and dirty and mildewed and trampled on vines and then we lift them up we wash them off we wrap them around the trellis or we tie them up in some way these vines then become the vines that produce fruit see Jason we are the vines and God's the gardener you you get that? I knew I had to call you out because you didn't sit in the front row for me so anyways there are some things here there are some people here who feel like maybe their life hasn't been bearing fruit you don't feel that peace or the joy you're looking for you don't live a life of self-control you have not been living a life of love you want these things and Jesus wants them in your life too but they're just not there yet so listen to what I'm telling you right here Jesus is not coming after you with pruning shears and a garbage can that is not his way okay Jesus is coming after you with a bucket of water He'll clean that mud and the mildew and and, and all the dirt and the slime off of you, those hurdles, those valleys, those difficult parts in your life that keep you and hold you from being fruitful. He'll cleanse you and he'll purify you. But here's the thing. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes years for a vine to become strong enough to bear fruit. So we need to be patient. It may take some time for your spiritual fruit to develop, but don't give up. And here's, here's a, uh, a, a phrase from the Bible where I want you guys to really try to learn this. Everybody's kind of got these one or two word for, uh, phrases that they can recall. And this is one that I really want you guys to commit to memory. is from Philippians 1.6. And after I got done researching and finding this scripture, this is going to become one of my favorite for sure. Philippians 1.6 says this, He who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Think about how powerful that is. He who began a work in you. And who's beginning that work? God has begun that work in you. And his promise is that he will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, till the day you're with God again. He's going to carry that on. No matter where you are in your spiritual life, Jesus is not done with you yet. Your life is always, always a work in progress. As I lose myself here. Wow, that got really clear. Cool. There we go. All right, so here's my second thought. Again, we're going to go with verse 2. We're going to stay with this whole cuts-off thing. Again, he cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. So we're going to lose the Greek translation, and we're going to stick with the English translation, which I think we're all familiar with. To cut off is to remove, to discard, to get rid of. And if you're investing in a vine, you want to make sure that it's producing lots of fruit. If there's no fruit from certain branches, it's a sign that the branches are dead, and they're not going to be productive. The fruitless branch is removed. And the key here is it's not the entire vine. It's just the part of the vine, the fruitless branch that's removed. And that makes sense. But the next part I find a little bit confusing, still in verse 2. It says, every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. And you think about that and say, wait, if the branch is, is already making fruit, why do you want to cut it up? If it ain't broke, don't fix it. But God doesn't see it that way because he's not going to settle for just a little bit of fruit. He knows what he's doing as he prunes. And it might be painful, but in the end there will be even more fruit coming from that vine. So you ask yourself, what will this pruning look like in my life? And it could be in what happens to us when we face illness or unemployment or relocation or maybe the death of someone in your family or somebody very close to you. And our natural reaction to these changes might be, why is this happening to me? But Jesus calls us to see the hand of the gardener. Instead of asking why, we should be asking, Lord, what are you teaching me through this? Lord, how can I produce more fruit with these new challenges? Well, maybe you become a prayer warrior if you're stricken with some sort of illness. If you're forced to retire, now you have more time to share and to spend with others. A death in the family can remind us of the shortness of life and how truly important life is. So now we talk about this whole growth thing and how sometimes you have to prune, we can use our lawn as a prime example, which again is the definition of insanity that we fertilize to grow to cut, to fertilize to grow to cut, to fertilize to grow to cut. I don't understand it, I hate cutting the grass. But think about your lawn. What is the natural tendency of grass? Grass grows. But if you allow it to grow too much, It'll start to thin out and only the tallest blades will survive. That's why we cut our grass, if we allow the the roots to grow and it makes our lawns thicker and healthier when we cut it. And the same is true in our spiritual lives. As we grow, we will discover that there are some things in our lives and they can even be good things which have to go to make room for a more deeper spiritual growth. Has there been something in your spiritual life that has always worked for you but recently has shown very poor results? Well, maybe it's time to prune that from your life so that you can focus, focus your energies on much more fruitful things. But sometimes pruning is quite painful. God may be calling us to let go of something very near and dear to us, but it might not be helpful to us. It might not be helpful to our spiritual lives. God may even allow us to suffer for a period of time. And so, if He allows us to suffer, I guess the natural question is is it a good thing to suffer? Well let's hear what the book of Hebrews has to say about it. Book of Hebrews 12:7 tells us this: Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons. for what son is not disciplined by his father? If you are not disciplined, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us, and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to our Father of our spirits and, our, and live? Our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. So according to Hebrews, suffering can be a good thing for us. But discipline is tough to take. It's tough to give up that control. I myself am a a control freak. No question. It's tough for me to delegate some things. It's hard to surrender to God's hands, but there are times when we absolutely have to do it. We need to let go of our pride. We need to let go of that old grudge that we have against somebody. Lose that need to be right all the time. Stop looking at our mistakes, or stop looking at others' mistakes, and recognize our own mistakes. And if we can do that, then we, we can become spiritual greenhouses for ourselves to bear more fruit and for the people that are around us to bear more fruit as well. Now, everything we do here on earth, the worship, the witnessing, the studying, the sharing, the serving, is designed to help you bear more fruit. Some of these things are so beat up by life that they aren't bearing fruit anymore. And that's where we need to let Jesus step in and take control. He identifies those areas of our lives that are sapping our growth and our strength. And he puts things in motion to help remove those from our life. You need to look for these places in your life that seem to be holding you back and let Jesus just just get rid of them. And our goal in our Christian lives is to be fruitful, right? It's to produce as much fruit as possible. But how do we do that? What is the secret to, to producing more fruit? It actually sounds hard. So many of us are so busy with work. We're busy at home. We're busy with our church family. And then we're just so bogged down in our everyday life, you're thinking, now I've got pressure to be more fruitful more burden to be added onto everything else that I have to do, all the responsibilities I have, and now God is asking us to bear more fruit. But before your mind begins to race all over the place, before you shut me off completely saying my life is too busy, it can't be done, John, in John fifteen four, it sums it up in eight simple words as to how we produce more fruit. Those eight words are, remain in me as I remain in you. The secret of fruitfulness is to be connected to Jesus. And if you look at it that way, that's pretty simple. Remain in me as I remain in you. Imagine a broken branch just lying on the ground, completely separated from the vine. It's just laying there all dead. It can try as hard as it wants to produce fruit, but it's not going to happen. Jesus says, apart from me, you, can't, you can do nothing, and the branch needs to be connected to the vine, receiving the life-giving fluids for it to be healthy and for it to produce fruit. And it's the same in our Christian life. We simply cannot do it by ourselves. Either we're connected to Jesus and receiving his life-giving spirit, or we're just faking the fruit on our own. And what I mean by faking the fruit is we do things because we're supposed to do it. We keep up our appearances so that we look Christian and we look churchly. We go to church because we're supposed to. We participate in the bake sale and the volunteering for ministry so others will see us and notice us that we're involved. It does look respectable, but if it's not real, it's just a dressing. Just like our first cars with all that junk hanging in and on it, fuzzy dice and tinted windows are not going to make the car run any better. And pretending all these things and going through the motions of being a Christian is not going to make us a better Christian, and it's certainly not going to help us bear more fruit. We need to be connected to Jesus and his life-giving spirit. When you connect with him and we re- when we remain in him, great things can happen for us. We can pray with confidence knowing that our prayers will be heard and answered. And Jesus says this in verse 7 of John 15. If you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Now, this is not about rubbing a bottle and having a genie come out and you get whatever you want. That's not what he's talking about. What Jesus is saying is ask not ask for whatever you want. He's saying if we remain in Jesus and we're connected to Jesus, we'll be asking for the things that he wants. What we want will become what he wants, and then we'll become more like him. We will not be asking for a million dollars. We will not be asking for a year's supply of Applewood smoked bacon. We will not be asking for a Mint 66 GTO with a 389 tri-power, 1,000 CFM carburetor, a Muncie T10 transmission with 411 gears. That is not what we're going to be asking for, okay? This is not rubbing a bottle and a genie comes out. Instead, we'll be asking for things we know Jesus desires, for others to become connected to him, for the Father to be glorified, for the church to grow, and for more spiritual growth and more fruit. And then next Jesus, next Jesus gets to the love side of this and we move away from the pruning and Jesus says that there's a domino effect of love. The father loves the son, the son loves us and we love each other. This love will drive us to keep his commandment which was love each other as he has loved us and it will allow us to share in his joy. And then that domino effect continues as the, as the love of God overflows into our hearts and it overflows into those around us. And then Jesus calls us to love one another. To love one another. It sounds simple, but it's easier said than done. Just take a look around. In here, in our work life, in our social life, we're all different. We all have different personalities. We all have different temperaments, different backgrounds, different beliefs, different hopes, different desires. For us to love one another and look past all of those differences, it takes the power of God to do that. And that power allows the fruit of the Spirit to grow and develop in our hearts and in our lives. As Jesus calls us to bear fruit, he gives us one last jolt of encouragement in the closing verses of chapter 15, where he looks around the upper room and he says this to his disciples. Verse 16. You did not choose me, but I chose you. And I appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for in his name. Fruit from giant eagles spoils quickly, but the fruit of the Spirit lasts forever forever. Our love and our joy and our peace will be displayed for eternity. Are you connected to Jesus? Are you receiving from him that life-giving power? Are you going through a time of pruning right now in your life? Wherever you are, be assured that God is in control. His purposes are for our good and for his glory. Amen. All right, we're going to have a time of prayer right now. We're going to gather down here. Uh, The band is going to come up and play uh, another song for us. And I encourage you guys to come down and and pray with us. I'll be down there. I'm sure uh, one of the other elders will be down there too. Come up and and let us know what's going on in your life. Do you have some hardships, illness, death, some problems that you're having, some valleys in your life? And also keep in mind that prayer is not always about bad things and asking God for help. If you want to glorify God for something, if you want to just give praise to him, that's prayer as well. We'll be down there to meet with you. We'll pray, and then they'll play, and then we'll have a prayer time up front. Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, so much for the Amazing opportunities that you give us, Father, and as, as we are here on earth, Father, we pray that uh, that you allow us to connect with you, Father. We pray that you allow us to just get rid of all the the barriers that are preventing us from letting your life-giving fluid just pour into our lives, Father. Uh, to realize that there are some things in our life, Lord, that just are not uh, designed to help us bear fruit, Father, that are distractions in our life, and it is our prayer, Father, that the Holy Spirit just work in us. Uh, that we can feel that life-giving power, Father, that we stay connected to you, connected to that vine, and we can find the joy and happiness, Lord, that only you can give us and that we bear fruit in your name, Lord. Amen.